Hello, and welcome to the first of several conversations on Log4j. I am Steven Asifa, one of your hosts for the podcast, and I'm joined by fellow paranoids, Art Georgios, and my outstanding co-host, Sean Thomas. Hey, folks. So today's focus is really going to be on the forensics perspective of Log4j and Log4Shell. So we brought two members from our forensics and incident response team, lovingly named here our fire team, um, to kind of talk through this. Let's welcome Art and Georgios. Um, Let's start with Art. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me on. My name's Art Madalino. I lead the specialists on the fire team doing uh, forensics and digital forensics uh, daily. Hey, excellent. Georgios, you're up. Hey, this is Georgios. Thank you for having us on today, Sean and Steven. Um, I am the senior engineer, uh, senior security engineer at Fire Team, which is Forensic Response and Engineering. And I have been here for the past five years. And as you can tell, I probably worked on the Log4j investigation that we had. Really, before we dive into this, there's a couple things that we need to dig into. And one of those is, for anybody who might not be aware, what is Log4j and by consequence, Log4Shell that's really taken the world by storm? Sure, Sean. Uh, for those that haven't heard yet, Log4j has been a huge thing for security teams across the world. Uh, Log4j was a vulnerability that targeted Apache's Log4j library. Uh, this library is used in multiple applications for both small businesses, large businesses, and in between. The vulnerability exists due to the actions that the JDNI, or Java Naming and Directory Interface, takes to resolve variables during requests. Affected versions of Log4j contain JNDI features that allow for a malicious actor to submit a specially crafted request to a vulnerable system. This then potentially could cause, exe- could potentially cause arbitrary code execution. Essentially, this means that an adversary could potentially take over the whole system and do whatever they'd like. For open source intelligence, some adversaries were observed scanning the networks across the world to attempt to do things such as install cryptocurrency miners, gather credentials and secrets, as well as maintain persistence on hosts that they infect. How does incident response even get involved in this? Yeah, uh, so usually people might think that incident response is only involved when we have a security incident, like something happened. But Incident response is also involved when we have uh, a vulnerability that we determine that there is a, a risk of abuse. So we have already an established process within the paranoids that the incident response team is engaged when we have such a vulnerability uh, and look for J, look for cell essentially, which is the vulnerability, uh, was one of those. So the look for J vulnerability triggered this process, and we immediately started an investigation to, on the side. While our vulnerability management team was patching, we were also doing an investigation to determine if there was any attackers trying to exploit this vulnerability within our infrastructure. How do we even go about getting a handle on something like this, folks? Like, what's the approach here? So I believe that the first step was definitely gathering the team so that we had a concerted front against this new vulnerability. Once we had everyone on the same page and were able to scope down what our riskiest targets within the business might have been, uh, that then allowed Georgios in parallel to begin to work with other associated teams, like you just mentioned, our vulnerability management, new vuln, VMOps teams, so we could coordinate efforts uh, across uh, multiple pillars. With an investigation this large and uh, at the scale that we operate at Yahoo, um, such an incident needs to be scoped properly because 
at that time, and I know that a lot of uh, folks around the industry will probably saw the same uh, from what I saw from uh, Threat Intelligence and uh, on Twitter, the InfoSec Twitter, um, everybody on the internet was scanning for uh, log4j vulnerabilities at that time for the whole week, the first days and then throughout the weeks of uh, uh, early December. So you, we have to scope this incident properly. Uh, we decided while we were doing this investigation to focus just on the scanning activity because of the thousands potentially scanning activity that we would see that everybody was seeing on the internet at that time. But instead, we try to come up with hypotheses on what a successful exploitation would look like. And I think the toughest point on this is that with a zero day that Log4j was, um, you don't have uh, open th open threat intelligence telling us what this would look like. We don't have examples of what this vulnerability and exploitation of it would look like. We had a POC, but at that time, we didn't know exactly what we were hunting for. And I think that's a really important thing to do initially in a zero-day try to identify what we should hunt for. So in our case, uh, we analyzed all the reports that were being published uh, and came up with a plan uh, with hypothesizing that a successful callback, essentially, an initial callback back from the scanning would be an LDAP egress connection. So uh, that's what we used, and we utilized uh, NetFlow and our open source tool, Archami, if, if you don't know, and I think uh, Art is going to explain a little bit more about what Archami is and how we utilized it. But we used NetFlow traffic and Archami in order to be able to look at our all throughout all our infrastructure, LDAP egress traffic, and try to determine is this bad or is it, is it not related to Log4j. Was, was there any... Uh reports you mentioned like kind of analyzing the reports to see how we can come up with a hypothesis there were there any that kind of stood out as like being tried and true sources that we normally go to or was it more just like a breath of just getting the handle of what's going on in the industry yeah that's a good question Stephen. i think that during this and overall when we're working with uh, an investigation or an incident it's a combination of looking out to the industry and seeing what people post about this and uh, seeing reports on the open on the internet. But at the same time, we do have a threat intelligence team that is specifically looks for these indicators and uh, has reports that are not publicized. So we, we utilize both. So I want to I want to kind of take a minute and dive in a little bit deeper into how we looked at this stuff and there's you know a bunch of different technologies across this space from you know uh endpoint detection and response to network and we'll we'll dive into archimy a little bit more too but let's kind of start on the endpoint side because that's always been very fascinating to me so like what did we do there like how did we utilize that telemetry to to look for this stuff Sure, Sean. We did multiple things. Um, the first thing we could probably tackle was using our EDR agents to reach into these systems to pull back forensics artifacts. Um, so essentially, we would deploy ZHH, CSH scripts to hosts that had a potential to have been targeted by these attacks to pull back various forensic artifacts, including um, running queries against local log files that would tease out uh, indicators of attack for this specific vulnerability, so indicators to JNDI, um, things of that nature. Um, that then allowed us to uh, bucket uh, our hosts into groups of high-value targets, take a sampling of those groups, and run our triage scripts against them. Uh, so we had a better idea if we were missing uh, any potential attack factors that were coming in from OSINT channels 
or perhaps things that we missed due to visibility gaps somewhere, if they happen to be there. Uh, it was very useful for gathering indicators of attack. Fantastic. Uh, the, the next thing, sorry, um, the, the next thing that, that we used was our Archimay, as both you and Georgios brought up. Archimay, uh, it used to be named Moloch, went through a name change, and it, it is a large-scale open-sourced index packet capture and search tool. Um, it allows you to capture uh, packets directly off the wire at scale, at full pack, at full capture, and allow you to query them uh, quite quickly. Uh, it was developed uh, years ago at AOL. We were able to generate uh, fantastic queries uh, for hunting the network telemetry that we were seeing uh, for both incoming attacks as well as egressing payloads that related to the JNDI functions that Georgios previously mentioned, uh, the, the LDAP connections. Yeah, I think having that visibility on the network with Archami and having the ability to drill down into the raw packets uh, is amazing. And it can help you really, really well scope this and at scale, right? And uh, do the investigation the right way. So are there any other kind of tools, methodologies that we used as we were hunting for this activity? Sure. Um, we also used our open source uh, IDS product uh, as well as our other open source network monitoring tools uh, that are established on our network. And uh, we were able to utilize metrics uh, for velocity and volume based detections uh, to see the attacks start to ramp up once the zero day was dropped. Uh, this also allowed us to use that information to determine uh, where the attackers were focusing across our environment, uh, which allowed us to then, uh, if they weren't already grouped in our high-value target buckets that we spoke about earlier, we could include them uh, in a future iteration of that host-based scripting. How, how do we go about managing something of this size with the different kind of processes that you mentioned? Yeah. Good question, Stephen. And... Uh, essentially, when these started out, um, we established we started running through our incident response plan, and um, we need you need to have an uh, like processes procedures in place, um, templates to use, an incident management process. So we initiated that, and uh, we had an incident commander, which was uh, surprise, surprise, it was me. <laughs> uh, so for the two weeks over there of my life, I was. Uh, uh, going through this all the time, we're trying to. <laughs> Lucky guy. Exactly. It was it was an amazing time. Thank you, Son, for that. Uh, for those, I don't know if we, did we mention that Son Thomas is my manager and Son Thomas put <laughs> me to do this. <laughs> I am I am happy to help Giorgio's anytime. So yeah, so we went. Um, uh, I think almost two weeks we worked through this uh, every day in order to make sure that nothing was abused by an attacker, nothing was compromised. Um, and we focused, uh, um, we had to focus on hunting. So we needed to be focused on a set of hypotheses and run things down, right? Because in a, in that scale, a lot of people, and we, when you have a big team, um, have a lot of ideas. And I think the challenge there on the things that we need to investigate but at the same time, we need to allow our analysts to come up with their own hypotheses and ideas on what to hunt for, because we, we might start hunting for something, like we talked about LDAP egress traffic, but we might be missing something, and there are always good ideas that we need to hunt for. So I think the, the, there is a challenge there, but it's also an opportunity for, you have to give the opportunity for analysts to come up with uh, uh, creative ideas to hunt for that activity, especially when it's a zero day that you don't know exactly what's happening. As your manager, I want to chime in on that piece because 
Georgios, what you said is so important for that, right? So, like, when we're dealing with a situation that we don't know, trust becomes so important in the people that are around you and that we have hired the right resources who can go find the right answers and make the right partnerships and dig into the right things. And I can just say, personally, I was so impressed with everybody's involvement and ideas and the the chats that we had and kind of how everybody came together and said, oh, did we think about this? Or, oh, should we go do that? Or what does that look like? And like, it was so cool to watch like that mind melding of, of this team that we have, right? Really dive into creative problem solving around this relatively unknown thing. Like, just want to call that out because it was so cool. And it it's such a nice, it's it's the thing that excites me a lot about our culture, which I think I talked about in the last episode. But it's just so cool to me to watch that process happen when something like this happens, you know? Yeah. And I think you mentioned the, about trust. I think trust when running an investigation or an incident at that scale is extremely important. When we have a number of people working on this incident and we need to identify uh, different things and we need to run a specific investigation, uh, I think Trust is one of the most important elements of this of of running this incident. Uh, so, the, and there is two parts in trust. So, trust from management, which I think we really had, and it, it really helped to run this incident because Yo. <laughs> not only for you, and then overall from our directors and uh, all of our management. If we, if we had during such an investigation, micromanagement all the time and asking for new information and new things and, oh, did you hunt for that? Did you hunt for this? We would be hunting down all different roads and ropes around and uh, we would tangle ourselves, essentially. Uh, but we had the freedom to set up a strategy and come up with our own hypotheses and questions to, an to answer. So we had that. That was amazing. And at the same time, I think it's really critically to have trust between the team because when we run an investigation, we might have some senior engineers working on it, some more junior engineers working on it, and we don't have the um, the time to you know double check everything, make sure that all, all the junior analysts did the, the work that they needed to do. So I think it's really important to have a really good team and establish trust between the team so everybody can take their tasks on, go and complete it, run the investigation and come up with the results um, and get the call, essentially. Art, do you feel the same way? Are you guys doing trust falls, you know, remotely? I guess, how do you guys build up that, that trust to get to that point? Most definitely a CFO. It definitely hurts when you do them remotely. Um, the, the floor is kind of hard and I'm getting older. Um, I have you back. <laughs> no, I, I completely agree with Georgios. Um, uh, management all the way up through senior leadership um, completely had buy-in to uh, what we needed to do for this process, allowing us to think outside of the box, make um, more more vigorous detections, um, et cetera. Um, I would also say that uh, there was a lot of mentorship that occurred during um the activity for some of the greener people, as Georgios mentioned, it might be the big zero day that they've ever gotten to see. Uh, so it was very interesting to see their response and uh, see how they could grow uh, through the exercise. The incident response plan, right? Because that sounds like yeah. that kind of laid out a lot of the blueprint there. Cause, and one thing I'm curious about is uh, how did that kind of fare against, you know, a vulnerability or situation of this size? Because everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So, like, I guess, how did that go in terms of, like, being able to stick to incident response planning and moving along with that? Yeah, I'll, I'll actually be 
brutally honest. Um, so we do have inst- an instant response. To, sorry, we do have an instant response plan. Uh, we do have processes. We do have procedures to follow, and every analyst and every engineer in the team should be following these. But when we run an incident or investigation, actually. These documents are work in progress, I feel, all the time. That's my personal opinion. And when we run an incident, we always have lessons learned to improve those. So I think in this case as well, um, we run through the incident response plan at, during during the investigation. We might have come up with some different ideas of how to deal with a specific uh, item. So uh, these are part of the lessons learned, which we then use to further improve our process and, and processes and procedures and our overall our instant response plan. So I think those documents are really, really helpful. Every team needs to have them because you, ha- you need to have the blueprint that you also mentioned, Stephen. But these documents, I think, are uh, living documents, the way as I like to, to, to call them. I want to kind of expand on that a little bit, too, because there's another piece of this that's really kind of important when we talk about the incident response plan and doing this kind of stuff. And I mean, yeah, nobody kind of expects the zero day vulnerability that's quite this big. But one of the things that's really important when we talk about IR process procedure and stuff is practice. So, like, what does that look like? Like, how do we practice? How do we prepare? Like, how do we get prepared for this kind of thing? And how can others do the same thing? Georgios, do you want to start with that one? Yeah, I think practice is the most important thing in all the sports and also in InfoSec. Uh, We do need all the time to be updated with the newest attacks and techniques that attackers use, right? And we need to be able to know what to hunt, how to hunt for it, what tools we use. And if you don't practice, you're not going to be prepared for that. And at the same time, uh, here at uh, the Paranoids and at Yahoo, we do have tabletop exercises that we host quarterly. And now I think for 2022, we're going to have a little bit more than four, which was quarterly last year. Uh, so we do run through tabletop exercises, which is essentially are a war game that uh, we walk with, through a, a real, a real life, like we try to make it real security incident for the team. And uh, we... Uh, I don't know. That's my my thought of process here, son. Sorry. (laughs) You're good. good. (laughs) Art, anything you want to add on to that? Um, No, I think Giorgio has covered it well. Uh, The tabletop exercises uh, certainly make sure that everyone has a readiness for these types of situations. And that's not just including um, our engineers, both junior and senior, but also the other parts of the company that we'll bring into them. Uh, So we'll bring in another business unit and make their executives aware and their uh, local engineers uh, of our processes and how best we can work together when things are sometimes on fire. I guess the one question I did have is we mentioned in the beginning kind of like the hypothesis there we're obviously not out of the woods yet with dealing with log 4j so i guess like what happens next are we updating hypotheses there or i guess art from your uh standpoint like, how do we kind of re-engage those assets that we target yes uh, so continually iterating uh, over the hunt process that we've been using uh, as a part of this zero day. Um, so as new information comes out or new CVEs drop, uh, we have to adjust what we've been doing. So whether that's our, um, you know, uh, cron searches that are running and popping alerts for us on uh, potential egressing activity, um, it certainly just helps grow the program overall. Uh, anytime there's a, a zero day that pops, because it makes you think of vectors that you might not normally have been thinking of yeah, previously. 
Yeah. And I mean, I'll, I'll toss in one other thing, just from the perspective of like that holistic security program piece is not only just the hunt, right. But also continually updating what detections we have and how we're looking for things and how our operations team is, is monitoring the network as new information comes out. And there was no shortage of, of detections created across this, anything from, you know, utilization of threat intelligence into utilization of attacker methodology and TTPs into how things are being exploited that we leveraged. And we're constantly always looking to add new things like that and, and address this very holistic detection perspective to kind of coincide with those hunts that are looking for things that aren't quite ready for prime time in that area yet, right? So if I may, uh, takeaways, like, you know, Art Georgios, this was, this was a big one. Georgios, this might've been one of the, one of the bigger ones you've worked on, right? Like, yeah. what are your takeaways from this? Like, what did you come out of it with? What valuable advice would you have to, to toss to other people that could really help them? They find their, themselves in y'all's shoes. Yeah. I think the biggest takeaways from the incident management side of things is, and I know we're going to talk more about takeaways from the vulnerability management um, on the, the next podcast, but from the incident management piece, I think we, the one that we touched on trust between management and the people who actually work in an incident is critically important because otherwise uh, we're going to be dealing with hunting down rabbit holes that shouldn't be hunted for and things that we shouldn't be investigating and spending our time on. But when you have trust from management, then the engineers and the analysts can really focus on what matters and try to uh, complete the investigation the right way. Um, and then also, we also touched upon that a little bit, that is critically, critically important to have your processes, procedures in place, make sure that all the whole team knows what they should follow, what they should do during an incident, practice it with tabletop exercises uh, or war games or actually uh, going through the logs and do threat hunting that I also count as practicing as well. Um, I think those are my biggest takeaways. How about you? I agree completely there. You know, uh, per practice makes perfect. Um, it also leads to your engineers trusting themselves. I think that's very important that they need to have trust in their abilities that they're going to do what's supposed to be done. Um, it certainly helps to build uh, team cohesion as well, which I think was fantastic throughout the exercise. And I just want to, one point on what you just said, Art, about practice make, makes perfect. I think that, especially in the line of work that we are, I don't know if you're going to ever have perfect. Uh, I think that we need to strive for the best and perfect is uh, a word that um, I'm not looking for. I'm trying, I'm looking for, uh, try to make sure that, you know, we complete our investigation and we go through the right path and uh, we improve every time. Mm. I iterate, always iterate. There's always more to improve upon. That's very true. All right. Thank you guys very much. I do have a question for you, uh, Sean Thomas. So as a manager of such an important team, like what type of communications did you have for like readouts or things were you looking forward to either communicate to our CISO or just to individuals in the business? Like, Hey, here's how we're handling this. Cause I imagine people were very curious about like, how do we keep a handle on things? Absolutely. I would actually love to to talk through this. So communication in this sense is super, super important, right? And we kind of hit that both internally within the team, but also when we really think about this from an external perspective, who are our stakeholders? Who do we need to talk to? Who do we need to update? Folks like the CISO, Sean Zadig. Um, what kinds of updates need to 
go into that perspective also become really important. Well, at the same time, um, to say it nicely, listening to our lawyers and not giving too much information at any given time. Um, we have a very close partnership with legal and we actually work through a lot of our communications, including this podcast actually with them to make sure that what we're saying is, is good and clear and, and, and we're in the clear. Um, as far as updates from the team, you know, we have standard document templates for executive summaries. We have report templates and we have ways that we kind of write these things up. The pieces that are the most important that we continue to focus on. And then I kind of get to play buffer between, you know, CISO wants to know this thing and we need to focus over here. So basically making that explanation between explaining one piece to another piece, right? Um, a lot of that also comes down to trust. Like I trust Art Georgios and every person who is on this to do the right thing and prioritize things appropriately, right? And that's important for me to do. And it's important that I have trust from my leadership, which I will exemplify what these two have said. Like I have a lot of trust from my leadership as well, that when we get on something like this, we're going to do the right thing and we're going to follow it through to the end and we're going to fully investigate and prioritize appropriately. And that makes the communication aspect of everything so much easier when that inherent trust is there. So if I could give advice to anybody about that, um, build relationships with your leaders, build relationships with partners and other business units. Like relationships are so important in IR. Like we're so far past the day of like sitting in a room on a computer, like by yourself. Relationships mean everything to getting things done. And I'm sure actually later talks in the series are gonna cover the importance of those relationships. Um, so I'll leave it at that. I'll, I'll kick it back to you, Stephen, to take a second. Hey, and that, that's quite I, I think, all right. I think we found we found the title for this for this episode of this podcast: "Trust Your Incident Responders." There you yeah. go. Make, make sure someone's got your back like a Jan Sport. So now I want to <laughs> say thank you, guys, especially Art and, and Giorgio's uh, from the Paranoids Fire Team, sharing this information with us. Also to my wonderful co-host Sean Thomas. Uh, this has been our episode here from the incident response perspective. Please, please, please stay tuned to our next conversation around Log4j. We're always going to have something new coming up. And that has been our episode. Stay paranoid. Take care, folks. Thanks.